0: In today's episode of Logistically Speaking, we will learn about the challenges our East Coast ports are facing and how one port is facing those challenges with record-setting numbers. We'll also learn what is the biggest takeaway from the challenges the pandemic has presented, and is it true that there's a port that offers easy access to over 75% of our nation's population?
1: Logistics is transforming our lives and the way we do business in today's ever-changing economy. If your company or community thrives on the quality of your logistics, then we'll give you a peek behind the curtains to the topics and people who are driving this exploding industry. You're listening to the Logistically Speaking GT Podcast, produced by Global Trade Magazine and sponsored by the World Economic Development Alliance. You can listen to all our GT podcasts at www.globaltrademag.com or join the thousands that have downloaded our app in the Apple iTunes store. Now, here's our publisher and our host, Eric Klein-Sorge. Eric Kleinsorge.
0: Good afternoon and welcome to all our Logistically Speaking listeners. I'm your host, Eric Kleinsorge, and today we're having an exciting show. We're heading east to the beautiful coast of Virginia. Today's guest is the CEO and Executive Director of the Virginia Port Authority. He is responsible for the broad pragmatic areas of business and relationship development, infrastructure development, strategic marketing, economic development, finance, security, and safety. He directs and manages the operations of Virginia's marine and inland terminal facilities through Virginia International Terminals LLC, the port's private terminal operating company, including Virginia International Gateway. Newport News Marine Terminal, Norfolk International Terminals, Portsmouth Marine Terminal, Richmond Marine Terminal, and the Virginia Inland Port. Our special guest today is Stephen A. Edwards. We know Stephen as a globally experienced leader in the maritime industry with extensive operational experience and a proven track record of growing businesses and creating long term value for customers and stakeholders. Before joining the VPA in January of 2021, Stephen served as the President and Chief Executive Officer for TrayPack LLC and was responsible for the overall performance of the company with a focus on safety, service, and sustainability. Prior to that, he was the CEO of Global Container Terminals. His previous industry experience includes President and CEO of Port America Group and President and CEO of p o Ports, North America. In his capacity as CEO and Executive Director of the VPA, Stephen will serve as an ex-officio member of the Virginia Economic Development Partnership Board of Directors. Stephen holds a Bachelor's of Science degree in Transport Management from the Aston University in England. Stephen, welcome to the show. Oh, Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Oh, absolutely. So, Stephen, before we get started, we here at Global Trade have really enjoyed our partnership with the Port of Virginia. We've been working with the Port since 2017. And I want to say it's an honor to finally have you here on the show.
2: Well, thank you. It's, uh, it's always good to work with people who need to try to get to the bottom of what's going on out there, right? What's going on out there, right,
0: in the supply chain. <laughs> absolutely. And, Stephen, I always liked our listeners to get a general idea of our guests, and what we're about to talk about. So to get started, if you could, paint a picture for our listeners about the Port of Virginia and give them an idea of why it would be a prime choice for globally-minded companies. Yeah, well, thank you for that. I think with the Port of Virginia, what we have here is
2: close to a a unique position in in port operations within North America. We call it the Virginia model. But really, when you think through my role, I'm the CEO and Executive Director of the, of the Port of Virginia. And this, this role that we have here in, in growing our gateway and growing our port, we are the port authority. So similar to most ports in the nation, we are the, the body that has the, the due care and attention to, to operate the port. We're also the marine terminal operator. So the physical movement of goods in and out of the port is, is managed and controlled by, by us. We're responsible for the assets and the, and the equipment and the investments that are made to support that. But then we're also the technology integrator. So, you know, if you're a user of the port, if you're a user of our gateway, you know, if there's one set of technology operating, we're the integrator of all of those technologies and how they interface, not only to operate the port, but also how they interface with all the supply chain partners and stakeholders and the next user in the supply chain. And finally, we also run and operate and provide the chassis pool for the uh, Port of Virginia. So, if you're in the trucking market and in the trucking business beyond the beyond the port for delivering the goods to and from transload and, and distribution centers, we provide the, sh- the chassis pool. So, really, what we're trying to do here, and in, in our way, is say from the moment the ship arrives at the sea buoy, to all the way through to it's left the gate of the left the your goods have left the gate of the port, whether by rail or by road. That we are taking care of making sure there's capacity and one solution all the way through through for a port user, and the same in the reverse direction. If you're an exporter, that from the moment you're packing your goods at your warehouse, that you have some, de- you you know who you're dealing with, in terms of getting that supply chain all the way through to the moment that the ship leaves.
0: That's awesome, and and I found aside a little uh, interesting tidbit. And uh, is it true that the Port of Virginia is the only U.S. East Coast port? with congressional authorization to go 55 deep in your channels?
2: That's right. It's exciting for us. We have, we have authorization to go to 55 feet. More importantly, we've started the project and we have funding. We were delighted to receive the last of the federal funding in the Infrastructure Jobs Act, and we celebrated that with the Army Corps of Engineers um, recently. And this project is, is part funded by the Commonwealth of Virginia, part funded by the federal government, And what this has allowed us to do using the Commonwealth of Virginia funding is accelerate the project. So the good news for for all of us is not only are we going to 55 feet, which allows our shipping line customers to come in with their ships fully laden or or deeper, we're also going to a wider channel, which will put us in the unique position of having two-way transit in and out of the port for the the largest ships calling the East Coast. And that's very important because it keeps our berth occupancy higher, and that equals capacity.
0: No, absolutely. And I liked how you started by saying, you know, you love to be able to give information or provide information about what's going on. So, if we can, let's just dive in. I want to talk about the importance of our U.S. East Coast ports. And according to the Journal of Commerce, they are the hot spot for trade. And being a hot spot, you know, there's a fear that the, that there's a higher demand, and that can bring congestion and other issues. Tell us about the state of the uh, U.S. EC ports and how is the Port of Virginia performing in comparison with its peers? Well, let's, let's start at the East Coast as a whole. I think, importantly, we know that
2: we all, you know, two-thirds of us live, live east of the Mississippi. So let's just start with it makes logical sense for imports and exports from the eastern seaboard and from the Midwest to use, use the East Coast ports. The other thing I think that's important in, in East Coast ports is ports such as ours in Virginia, we are... Building freight corridors, integrated plans with the rest of the transportation chain, uh, to make that happen. So I think the I think the future for the Eastern Seaboard is quite bright. I think it's logical to be logical to be looking to us as your supply chain facilities because we're closer to the population, and also we're building an integrated freight plan. We're not the only one on the East Coast doing it, but I think that a direct comparison, perhaps to to what has been going on in some of the problems on, on the West Coast. Now, as you say, when there's high demand. You can hit congestion problems, and of course, we all know that the supply chain in 2021 and, and to a degree, in 2022, has you know, had strong demand, and there have been, you know, there's been one after the next supply chain problem, whether that is origin in Asia of goods being produced, or it's distribution capacity over on this side, and or its railroad capacity, and so on. And I think where we've managed to thrive somewhat on this is by using that Port of Virginia model, we've kept, you know, we've kept ourselves agile. We've used our capacity to, to the fullest extent where, when we need to by moving assets around. And the end result of that has been a pretty good performance as a whole, something we're proud of. We're proud that we were the ranked the highest um, recently in a World Bank report of all of the North American ports. So we're doing something right. We can do a lot more to help that. But I think the key to it has been you've had to be agile. There have always been problems somewhere in the supply chain throughout 2021 and so far in 2022, and I think there will be for the foreseeable future. So that ability to work with your stakeholders, collaborate with the next person in the supply chain is critical, and I think our model has has proven itself to be actually pretty good at that and allowed our operating team to deal with the railroads operating teams or to deal with the motor carrier community and make sure that when there are problems, we can always find solutions.
0: No and I love that because that has been top of mind for everyone in terms of su- supply chain demands challenges and you guys just closed on your fiscal year in June and you guys had a record setting performance how do you feel the port was able to maintain its fluidity and process in a record amount of in a record amount of cargo what would you say was the greatest challenge you guys had I think the greatest challenge for all of us in in the supply chain, and certainly here, is
2: that there's not been one problem in the last 12 months. There have been multitudes of events that could have derailed a good year. You get the obvious ones every year of some bad weather events. They happen to every port every year. But then when you get, maybe the imports don't move as fast as you want them to, maybe some of the the transload capacities are being being used, used considerably. The example I would use is there have been railroads have had to, at times, have constraints in Chicago or constraints in Kansas City. But if we work with the railroads as we have, then we're we're perfectly capable of saying, look, if we need to slow down the Kansas City, let's speed up Columbus. Or if we need to slow down Columbus, let's speed up Detroit. So keeping the cargo moving to to where the ports can still operate or where we as a port can still operate and where the railroads can still operate by managing each one of those small events, whether it's all the ships being off schedule, one after the other, or if it is railroads have got constraints, or a weather event inland that causes somewhere inland to slow down, managing around that in a 24-7 basis means our operators had to stay on their game. They've done that. And each time we've, we've faced a problem, we've, we've moved through it. So I think the cumulative effort ends up in a record-breaking year. And that's something our operating team should be very proud of.
0: No, absolutely. I think that with you being in your position, you get to see all those challenges and you get to adapt and get to find solutions during those times and really get a good understanding of the challenges of today's market. What would you say it is that ocean carriers and cargo owners want in, uh, and need in your port today?
2: Well, let's start with cargo owners because they're, you know, they're the party who, in the course of the last 18 months, have been the most harmed because of. The cost of the supply chain has gone up, but most I think most difficulty for them has been the degree of uncertainty they've been dealing with. So I think most importantly for for cargo owners, if they've been looking for gateways where they know what their outcome is going to be, they know with certainty that they can get good truck service, that they can have good cargo availability, and if you're an exporter, that you can actually deliver your goods into the port and, and that they will be shipped. So I think we did a number of things for the cargo owners this year on the exporters. We we locked in the export receiving dates for when cargo could be delivered. That's incredibly important for them in scheduling their warehouse packing or their agricultural packing of the containers as to how to come to us. And likewise with importers, they need to know that when the containers are available, that they can actually, that they're available, really available, they can come and collect them. And I think that's deliberate certain service that an importer and exporter can, can rely on this is something we've, we've been able to provide. With the ocean carrier, the ocean carriers have had multitude. Yeah, of port issues. Some of them do with COVID lockdowns in Asia. Some of them to do with with other delays, congestion peaking in European ports or other ports in North America. So their schedule, their schedules have been, you know, very very difficult to maintain. And and therefore, I think the thing they're looking for from us in the short term has been that ability to know that their ship is going to get in and out in a reasonable time frame. But more importantly, in the medium term. Yeah. They, they've got very strong order books of larger ships, and those or larger ships are going to require more capability. So not just capacity, but that capability, those deeper, wider channels, those higher cranes, that greater yard surge capacity that happens with, with large ship volumes. So I think building that, building that capability, which we're doing with our capital plan, it allows us to handle the bigger ships and combine that with giving the import and the exporter the certainty they're looking for.
0: Circling back to just the the three PLs and in the, the supply chain, it's so important. You know, I see it impact our our national manufacturers. I see it impacting the service industries and even our families at a local level. And, and so important that we dial those in. What, what what would you say your biggest takeaway has been, and what you've learned over the past couple of years?
2: Well, I think what we've learned in the, in the last couple of years is things can change rapidly. Um, I don't think anybody would have you yeah, know, would have put forward that ports were going to grow double digits year over year going into the pandemic. When we went into the pandemic, you know, we were expecting a downturn and we saw this, you know, very sharp V-shaped recovery, you know, this very significant purchasing of goods and um, this massive shift to e-commerce. So we moved also to a very, you know, a much a model of supply chain where people were looking exactly for what you're mentioning, transload cargo, because by transloading it closer to the ports, You're able to have a quicker handoff, more certainty into how you're going to distribute inland. So I think and you think through the challenges uh, in running a gateway is the traditional port authority role. Have we got enough channels and berths and so on? The traditional marine terminal operator, have we got enough cranes and assets? Have we got a strong labor force? And then have we got enough 3PL operators in our port? Have we got enough developers developing land? For that 3PL and distribution market, all of that you know, has to move. Capacities have to move at the same speed, and I think that's where the biggest challenge is now: is, is being in the capability of pulling all that together into a single strategy that says, "Let's make all the parts of the supply chain move at reasonably the same speed, so that each part of each investor or each you know, operator or cargo interest can have the same." confidence to make, put their dollars to work, to make it happen. And I think that's what we're trying to achieve here. And I think it's what we are achieving is allowing people to bring their money to Virginia, make those investments in the knowledge that all the parts of the supply chain are moving forward and that there isn't one single constraint that's going to hold back all the others. And I think that's what we've learned in the last 24, 18 to 24 months is each part of the supply chain has to move at, in similar speed to the others because We've learned the hard way that if, if one is behind the curve, it holds back all the others.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and to kind of switch gears here, because I think you guys always not just take a look at what's gone in the past, what's going on now, what's going on in the future. And a big topic with the administration right now is going green. And I understand the port has a goal to go net zero carbon emissions by 2040. Outside the obvious environmental benefits, what does the port hope to do? Achieve through this effort.
2: Well, first thing is the right thing to do. I think. Secondly,
0: is there is a keen
2: focus on international supply chains, international shipping. On, as a you know, as an emitter of carbon, we are a, you know we are an industry that is a, a strong user of carbon, both through shipping and through transportation as a whole. So, and then if you look through the marketplace, a number of the major transportation companies, have direct customers. The international shipping lines are making very strong commitments. Um, in terms of their commitments to decarbonize. And likewise, a number of the major importers and exporters and in their individual supply chains, so the beneficial cargo owners, are making those commitments. So, what we're hoping to achieve is that they will choose us as a partner to work on that decarbonization effort, that we can work with them on their supply chains. Let's say if they're looking to put in place cleaner transportation routes or to partner with like-minded people or to use us as a vendor, as a like-minded vendor, and that they know that our commitment is a strong commitment and that we're here to work with them to help them green their supply chain. So we're in lockstep with what they're trying to do because that's our business and our business is to support them to achieve their goal at the same time. So that's what we're hoping to achieve.
0: No, you're spot on, and I absolutely love that. But, Stephen, we've got to wrap up our show today, and I'd like to get your opinion on the future. So, Stephen, we've seen the Port of Virginia as always being forward thinking, has done everything possible to become the U.S. East Coast leading gateway for global trade over the next several decades. I found that between two thousand and fifteen and two thousand twenty five, the port will have invested one point five billion in infrastructure, creating a network of six terminals that can handle any type of cargo. Now the port has an aggressive one point four billion, that's billion with a B capital investment plan to modernize and expand. Now amidst concerns that trade may slow down and possibly contract. What are the port's plans in does the timing of this effort concern you based on the ins- uncertainty ahead?
2: We don't see ourselves concerned about timing because we're building assets for 25 or 50 years. We're not building assets for you know, a one-year one year return. That's not in- infrastructure assets have to have that 25-year life. So we're not worried about timing. And if anything at the moment, we're still, right now we're still seeing strong growth. And if it, if it for whatever reasons, does pause, We've got strong confidence in the future. I think also that need for greater capability, proven so strongly through the supply chain challenges of the pandemic, means we are. it's the right thing to do to position Virginia as the right gateway for the East Coast. And there are things in our favor. As I mentioned earlier, the population lives east of the Mississippi, largely. And the other factor is there are movements of trade into some of the Southeast Asian Indian subcontinent uh, markets that bring trade more in tune with East Coast uh, supply, so I do think that as a whole, the East Coast has got a strong has got a strong position. North America as a whole needs to diversify away from you know a, an overdependence on Southern California, and we've got the best harbour on the East Coast. So it should be a national strategy as well as a Commonwealth strategy to get the best out of this natural harbour. And I think that's why we move forward with confidence on our 1.4 billion and put ourselves in the, in the best position possible to service the trade.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, you, and also, uh, another benefit that I found is you guys are within a two-day's drive of 75% of the U.S. population. Do you see your, your shippers and, and users taking advantage of that unique benefit? Absolutely. I mean, presently, we see significant,
2: significantly greater distances that are being moved through the port. I think our service levels have enabled that and i think we're seeing more inward investment on supply chain than we have in the past so i think for many reasons there are both importers and exporters who are who are choosing to try us at the moment or are using us to a greater extent than they did of course if we want some trade in the last 6 to 12 months it's up to us to service it well to to build that confidence and maintain it through the through the gateway so i think we are seeing that and i do believe i do believe we'll continue to see it yeah, as we go forward because the, the, as you said, the where you can get to in two days from the Mid-Atlantic port is, uh, in Virginia is quite a great swathe of the East, and Mid- East Coast and Midwest. And you know, Do we know the boxes go from here to New Hampshire?
0: Absolutely. Do we know they go from here to Alabama? Uh, absolutely. That's awesome. Well, Stephen, I want to thank you so much for taking your time out of your valuable day to share with us your knowledge. I, I do a lot of these and I really appreciate the insight and information you've provided our readers today. I'm sure you caught some interest of our listeners. So if they want to learn more or, or get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to contact you?
2: The, the best way to contact us is we're at theportofvirginia.com. Port of go, go on to theportofvirginia.com and you know, feel free to feel free to make, make contact us with us that way. I'm more than happy to say, look, my, my, my email address is sedwards at
0: portofvirginia.com.
2: Please feel free to contact me.
0: That's perfect. But that said, we've had a great time today, and I want to also thank you, our listeners, for taking time out of your valuable day to spend with us. We know how important you are, and I hope we've provided some interesting information on how you can improve your company's global success. Till we meet again, I'm Eric klein to sign off and saying goodbye here from our global trade studios. So until our next episode of Logistically Speaking, don't forget, we love globally minded businesses that are on the move.
1: You've been listening to the Logistically Speaking GT Podcast. We want to thank all of our astute readers of Global Trade Magazine and thank all of our great advertisers that helped make this possible. Remember, you can subscribe and find all our GT Podcasts at www.globaltrademag.com. We hope you'll return next time for another great episode of Logistically Speaking. And don't forget, GlobalTrademag.com's daily news and information is ranked number one by Google.